Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Rowe, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. December 12. On this date in history, in the year 1913, the stolen Mona Lisa is recovered in Florence. Two years after, it was stolen from the Louvre Museum in Paris. Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, The Mona Lisa, is recovered inside Italian waiter Vincenzo's Perugia's hotel room in Florence. Perugia had previously worked at the Louvre and had participated in the heist with a group of accomplices dressed as Louvre janitors on the morning of August 21, 1911. Leonardo da Vinci, one of the great Italian Renaissance painters completed the Mona Lisa, a portrait of the wife of wealthy Florentine citizen Francesco del Gioconda, in 1504. The painting, also known as La Gioconda, depicts the figure of a woman with an enigmatic facial expression that is both aloof and alluring, seated before a visionary landscape. After the recovery of the Mona Lisa, Perugia was convicted in Italy of the robbery and spent just 14 months in jail. The Mona Lisa was eventually returned to the Louvre, where it remains today, exhibited behind bulletproof glass. It is arguably the most famous painting in the world and is seen by millions of visitors every year. December 13. On this date in history, in the year 2000, the Texas 7 Prison Break. On December 13, 2000, seven convicts break out of a maximum security prison in South Texas, setting off a massive six-week manhunt. The escapees, dubbed the Texas 7 by the media, overpowered civilian employees and prison guards in the maintenance shop where they worked and stole clothing, guns, and a vehicle. The men left a note saying, you haven't heard the last of us yet. Soon after escaping from the Connolly Unit lockup in Kennedy, Texas, the fugitives picked up another getaway vehicle, allegedly provided by the father of one of the men, and robbed a Radio Shack store in Pierland, Texas, making off with cash and police scanners. On Christmas Eve, the escapees, who had been convicted for a long list of violent crimes, including murder, rape, and robbery, struck a sporting goods store in Irving, Texas, where they stole a large amount of cash and weapons. In the process, the men killed police officer Aubrey Hawkins, shooting him multiple times with multiple weapons and running him over. The Texas Seven then fled to Colorado, where they purchased a motorhome, told people they were Christian missionaries, and spent a month at a trailer park near Woodland Park, Colorado. On January 22, 2001, a tip from someone who had seen the Texas 7 profiled on the TV program America's Most Wanted led police to the fugitives. Ringleader George Rivas was captured along with three of the other men. 
a fifth fugitive committed suicide after being surrounded by police. Two days later, law enforcement officials closed in on the two remaining escapees at a hotel in Colorado Springs. A standoff ensued, during which the fugitives conducted phone interviews with a TV news station and claimed their escape was a protest against Texas's criminal justice system. The men then surrendered to authorities. In February 2001, the six surviving members of the Texas Seven were indicted on capital murder charges and the death of Officer Hawkins. Each man was later convicted and sentenced to death. Several were later executed. December 14. On this date in history, in the year 1900, the birth of the quantum theory. German physicist Max Planck publishes his groundbreaking study of the effect of radiation on a black body substance, and the quantum theory of modern physics is born. Through physical experiments, Planck demonstrated that energy, in certain situations, can exhibit characteristics of physical matter. According to theories of classical physics, energy is solely a continuous wave-like phenomenon, independent of the characteristics of physical matter. Planck's theory held that radiant energy is made up of particle-like components known as quanta. The theory helped to resolve previously unexplained natural phenomenon, such as the behavior of heat and solids and the nature of light absorption on an atomic level. In 1918, Planck was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics for his work on blackberry radiation. Other scientists, such as Albert Einstein, Niels Bohr, Louis de Broglie, Erwin Schrödinger, and Paul M. Dirac, advanced Planck's theory and made possible the development of quantum mechanics, a mathematical application of the quantum theory that maintains that energy is both matter and a wave, depending on certain variables. Quantum mechanics thus takes a probabilistic view of nature, sharply contrasting with classical mechanics, in which all precise properties of objects are, in principle, calculable. Today, the combination of quantum mechanics with Einstein's theory of relativity is the basis of modern physics. December 15. On this date in history, in the year 1944, Legendary band leader Glenn Miller disappears over the English Channel. General James Doolittle of the United States Army Air Forces, hero of the daring Doolittle Raid on mainland Japan, and later the unified commander of Allied Air Forces in Europe in World War II, offered the following high praise to one of his staff officers in 1944. Next to a letter from home, Captain Miller your organization is the greatest morale builder in the European theater of operations. The Captain Miller in question was the trombonist and band leader Glenn Miller, the biggest star on the American pop music scene in the years immediately preceding World War II, and a man who set aside his brilliant career right at its peak in 1942 to serve his country as leader of the USAAF dance band. It was in that capacity that Captain Glenn Miller boarded a single-engine aircraft at an airfield outside of London on December 15, 1944, an aircraft that would go missing over the English Channel en route to France for a congratulatory performance for American troops that had recently helped to liberate Paris. 
It would be difficult to overstate the magnitude of Glenn Miller's success in the years immediately preceding America's entry into World War II, though he was a relatively unspectacular instrumentalist himself. He played the trombone in various prominent orchestras, but never distinguished himself as a performer. Miller, the bandleader, came to dominate the latter portion of the swing era on the strength of his disciplined arrangements and an innovation in orchestration that put the high-pitched clarinet on the melody line doubled by the saxophone section an octave below. This trademark sound helped Glenn Miller Orchestra earn an unprecedented string of popular hits from 1939 to 1942, including the iconic versions of numbers like In the Mood in 1939, Tuxedo Junction in 1939, Chattanooga Choo Choo in 1941, as well as Miller's self-pin signature tune Moonlight Serenade in 1939. The Glenn Miller Orchestra played its last ever concert under Miller's direction on September 27, 1942, in Passaic, New Jersey, and shortly thereafter, Miller entered the Army. After nearly two years spent stateside broadcasting a weekly radio program called I Sustain the Wings Out of New York City, Miller formed a new 50-piece USAAF dance band and departed for England in the summer of 1944, giving hundreds of performances to Allied troops over the next six months before embarking on his fateful trip to France on this day in 1944. The wreckage of Miller's plane was never found. His official military status remains missing in action. December 16. On this date in history, in the year 1773, the Boston Tea Party. In Boston Harbor, a group of Massachusetts colonists, disguised as Mohawk Indians, board three British tea ships and dump 342 chests of tea into the harbor. The Midnight Raid, popularly known as the Boston Tea Party, was in protest of the British Parliament's Tea Act of 1773, a bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting it a virtual monopoly on the American tea trade. The low tax allowed the East India Company to undercut even tea smuggled into America by Dutch traders, and many colonists viewed the act as another example of taxation tyranny. When three tea ships, the Dartmouth, the Eleanor, and the Beaver, arrived in Boston Harbor, the colonists demand that the tea be returned to England. After Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson refused, Patriot leader Samuel Adams organized the Tea Party with about 60 members of the Sons of Liberty, his underground resistance group. The British tea dumped in Boston Harbor on the night of December 16 was valued at some $18,000. Parliament, outraged by the blatant destruction of British property, enacted the Coercive Acts, also known as the Intolerable Acts, in 1774. The Coercive Acts closed Boston to merchant shipping, established formal British military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal prosecutions in America, and required colonists to quarter British troops. The colonists subsequently called the First Continental Congress to consider a united American resistance to the British. December 17. 
On this date in history, in the year 1979, stuntman Stan Barrett breaks the sound barrier. Hollywood stuntman Stan Barrett blasts across a dry lake bed at California's Edwards Air Force Base in a rocket and missile-powered car, becoming the first man to travel faster than the speed of sound on land. He did not set an official record, however. The radar scanner was acting up, and so Barrett's top speed, 739.666 miles per hour, by the most reliable measure, was only an estimate. Although he only drove his rocket car across the lake bed once, not twice as official record guidelines require, and none of the spectators heard a sonic boom as Barrett zoomed across the course. Barrett was a 36-year-old stuntman and ex-lightweight Golden Glove champ who had been introduced to auto racing by Paul Newman in 1971. He was the actor's stunt double for the film Sometimes a Great Notion. Barrett's car, the $800,000 Budweiser Rocket, was owned by the movie director Hal Needham, a former racer himself, who had broken a nine-year-old world land speed record on the Bonneville Salt Flats the previous September. The car had a 48,000-horsepower rocket engine and, to give it a little extra kick, a 12,000-horsepower Sidewinder missile. December 17 was a dry day with temperatures hovering around 20 degrees Fahrenheit. In order to break the sound barrier under those conditions, Barrett had to go faster than 731.9 miles per hour. He started the rocket engine and stepped on the gas. Then, after counting to 12, he pushed a button on his steering wheel to fire the sidewinder so he could go even faster. After he zoomed past a battery of timing devices, Barrett deployed a parachute to help him slow down. In all, it took only a handful of seconds for Barrett to blast across the five-and-three-quarter-mile lake bed. Unfortunately, the radar speedometers on the ground malfunctioned. Instead of the rocket speed, they measured the speed of a passing truck at 38 miles per hour. The final speed estimate came from data by the Air Force, whose scanners seemed to indicate that the rocket had probably exceeded the speed of sound. Controversy over how fast Barrett actually went persists to this day. It took until October 1997 for another driver, a British car called the Thrust SSC, to officially break the Mach 1 sound barrier. December 18. On this date in history in the year 1912, the fraudulent Piltdown Man fossil is discovered. After three years of digging in the Piltdown gravel pit in Sussex, England, amateur archaeologist Charles Dawson announces the discovery of two skulls that appear to belong to a primitive hominid and ancestor of man, along with a canine tooth, a tool carved from an elephant's tusk, and fossil teeth from a number of prehistoric animals. Despite muted criticism from a minority of paleontologists, the majority of the scientific community hailed the so-called Piltdown Man as the missing evolutionary link between ape and man. The remains were estimated to be up to a million years old. For the next decade, scientists herald the finding of Euanthropus Dawsoni, or Dawson's Dawn Man in Latin, 
as confirmation of Darwin's still controversial theory of human evolution. In the 1920s and 30s, however, the Piltdown gravels were found to be much less ancient than believed, and other finds of human ancestors around the world seemed to call the authenticity of the Piltdown man into question. In 1953, at an international congress of paleontologists, the Piltdown Man was first openly called a fraud. An intensive study of the remains showed that they were made up of a modern human cranium, no more than 600 years old, the jaw and teeth of an orangutan, and the tooth of a chimpanzee. Microscopic tests indicated that the teeth had been doctored with a file-like tool to make them seem more human. Scientists also found that the bones had been treated with chemicals to make them appear older. Other fossils found in the Piltdown Quarry proved to be authentic but of types not found in Britain. The person who orchestrated the hoax never came forward, but in 1996, a trunk in storage at the British Museum was found to contain fossils treated in the exact same manner as the Piltdown remains. The trunk bore the initials M-A-C-H, which seemed to suggest that Martin A.C. Hinton, a volunteer at the British Museum in 1912 and later a curator of zoology at the institution, was likely the culprit. Some theorized that he was attempting to embarrass Arthur Smith Woodward, curator of the British Museum's paleontology department, because Woodward had refused Hinton's request for a weekly pay raise. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for December 12 through December 18. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.